you are listening to the Sermon Podcast at Bethel. We're an evangelical covenant church located in western Wisconsin outside of Ellsworth, and you can find out more about us on our website, BethelCov.org. My name is Todd Speaker. I'm the pastor here, and thank you for listening. Would you open in your Bibles to Lamentation 6? Just kidding. Uh, to um, Mark 11. You guys would have left. <laughs> Mark 11. So um, one of the things that I uh, love the most about uh, Palm Sunday, as, as I said earlier, is that we, we get to shout out a word together. Um, and, and I love that word, Hosanna, and it's fun uh, for me. I think it's important uh, to shout out uh, words like that at times because they remind us of just how old, <laughs> how old our faith is. Uh, when I uh, shout out Hosanna, it just, it just reminds me that for thousands of years... Uh, people have, have shouted that word out, have prayed that prayer. People just like uh, you and me living in very different times. And if you spend a lot of time reading scripture, um, one thing that you'll notice, you, you learn things about God, but as we're going through it with, with confirmation students, I always remind them, like, what does this tell you about people? And you'll find that over and over again, the people that are in scripture are really not that different <laughs> from, from the people that are walking around today. Um, they all have the same problems. Uh, and, and they may look different, they may express it differently, they speak it in a different language, but uh, we all have the same problems, we all have the same prayers, we all have the same struggles from century to century, generation to generation. We have a, uh, not only do we have the same problems, though we, uh, we've come together for generations, many of us, for thousands of years, uh, to ask the same person for help. And so when we shout out things like next week, when we shout out, and you can't respond, when we shout out, he is you-know-what on Easter, risen, don't, don't waste it, um, we know that we shout alongside those that have come before us. And, and for me, in a world that feels like it's changing a lot, or when things are difficult or scary or frustrating, I remind myself that, uh, one, people have felt like the world was changing a lot forever. Um, things have been difficult, scary, and frustrating forever. People have called out, God, save us forever. And God did in different ways, in different times, in different places. People have been praying, uh, Hosanna, which means save for a long time. Uh, we have records of them uh, for longer than basically anything else that we have record of. And so it's encouraging to me to know that we, uh, we tap into an ancient faith of people that for generations have relied on God in difficult circumstances. Uh, and while things look different, um, uh, it, it, God shows up in so many ways. You know, it, it reminds me that, that our faith is, is so much older than anything that we interact with or see or deal with, you know, compared to any, frankly, almost any building on this continent <laughs> is, is a brand new 10-second uh, old baby compared to uh, God's story in the history of the world. And so um, we're, we're going to read one story um, from 
the book of Mark, and that's chapter 11. Fortunately, I marked it here. Um, we're going to read a story about people calling out, God, save us with their problems. And so if you know anyone, or if you felt at some time during this last year, uh, God, save us, remember that you're not, uh, that you're not alone. Um, you know, so, so here we go. Uh, about 2,000 years ago, we hear this word, Hosanna, which means saved, echoed in the voices of a people a long, long time ago. And it's really awesome to see the way that God shows up to save and how it's not always the way that we imagine or, or think. But, all right, so Mark, uh, Mark 11, and I'm going to mess my order up. I'm going to read it now. So, so just the little short background. Uh, Jesus and his disciples are coming into the city of Jerusalem. If you were with us for Lamentations, remember the, the Jerusalem gets leveled, the temple's destroyed. But in Jesus' day, uh, Jerusalem's back. The temple is back. Uh, and, and things are going pretty good. The only one problem is that uh, there's a foreign power, the Roman, uh, the Roman government, and right there, uh, Roman peacekeepers are, are roaming the streets with their swords and their spears, and they're keeping everybody in line. And so, you know what, I'll, I'll wait. So before we go in, uh, that's one of our characters. So we've got our Roman soldiers out there, uh, and, and we've got uh, Jesus and his disciples. Jesus and his disciples have been uh, roaming around the, the area, and it's interesting if you read the Gospels, uh, they kind of avoid getting too close to Jerusalem most of the time. Uh, so they avoid Jerusalem, and you'll notice uh, Jesus will often uh, tell people not to tell anyone about what he's doing. And when Christians read that today, they're like, why is Jesus telling people? I thought we were supposed to, to tell people about what he's doing. But uh, in the beginning of his ministry, um, he's trying to avoid a little bit of notoriety, okay? He's avoiding big crowds. They're coming anyway. Uh, he's avoiding um, people that are trying to uh, say who he is. Sometimes he's like, no, 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 don't tell anybody that you think I'm the Messiah yet. So they've been doing this the whole time. And so here's Jesus. Jesus and his disciples, they're roaming the area. They're seeing these amazing things, and they're all thinking like, Okay, Jesus, when is it going to be time to solve the problem, right? Because we live in a nation with a problem. We've got Jerusalem. We've got the temple. The one thing that we don't have is, is self-rule. Self the, the Romans are ruling over us. We want to be a nation that God rules over. And so Jesus and his disciples and the people that are seeing these miracles, they're hoping for something very specific. They're hoping that Jesus is going to save them by becoming king of Israel and dealing with uh, category two, the Roman peacekeepers. Uh, so, so the Roman Empire uh, did uh, a lot of things, but two things that impacted uh, people in Israel all the time was they, they killed people who got out of line, and they brutally taxed the region. Uh, so uh, they really contributed to poverty. This was how the Roman Empire worked. They spread out, uh, took control, managed land, and brought resources back into Rome so that Rome could prosper. So they were kind of bleeding the community dry. We've got Jesus and disciples, the Roman peacekeepers, and the community is suffering because of, because of these guys. And, and these guys, uh, you know, they're regular, old, ordinary human beings too. Uh, their job is to make sure that nothing really bad happens in, in Israel, to keep, keep the coins coming uh, back to Rome, to make sure there isn't anything really crazy. And so they're, they're worried, they're ready uh, at, over here, we've got our religious and political elites. Uh, so the, the religious and political elites, they've, uh, they've kind of made a, a compromise with Rome. They've said, if you guys let us be in charge of the, the religious aspects of, of the land, um, 
you know, we'll try and keep the people from, from rebelling and going crazy. And so that's kind of the deal that they've worked out. And so the religious elites are afraid of the people rising up, but they're also afraid of the Romans um, coming down, right? So they're kind of standing in between Rome and, and the people. And then finally, we have crowds of people. And, and on this special day, as Jesus comes into the city, he's coming in to celebrate Passover, uh, which is this once-a-year festival that, that commemorates when God freed his people from Egypt, uh, from being slaves in Egypt. And so everybody gathers, and, and if you live near Jerusalem, this is what you'd do. You'd pack up your family, you'd pack up your things, you'd go into town, and, and you'd may, maybe would make a sacrifice at the temple, maybe you'd stay overnight and eat your Passover there, or maybe you'd come back or whatever. But uh, So what this results in is you've got Jerusalem, and it's like packed full of people. Like the city of Jerusalem grows by like like 10 times during Passover in these days. So it's, it's full of people who are tired. It's full of edgy, worried Roman centurions that are like, boy, there's a lot of people, and I hope they don't get real angry because there are a lot more of us than there are of them. And, and then the religious leaders that are like, okay, if we can just get through Passover and nobody gets hurt, uh, that's, that's going to be okay, and we can maintain our power in the crowds of people uh, that are, are ready to celebrate God setting people free, okay? So this is, this is the climate. This is what's going on. And so Jesus waits uh, because he's following God's lead for just the right moment to come into the city with his disciples. And this is the story, okay? So Mark, Mark 11, because Jesus is about to uh, make himself known. It says this, as they approached Jerusalem, they came to Bethpage and Bethany in the Mount, at the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of his disciples saying, go to the village ahead of you, Just as you enter it, you will find a colt there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you uh, why you're doing this, say the Lord needs it, and he'll send it back uh, shortly. And before we go on, uh, this is an important image, an important symbol. A colt, uh, uh, you know, a a colt that no one's ever ridden is something that a king might ride to re-enter the city. So this is, you know, if you're thinking modern times, he's like, go pick me up one of those like black cars with the flags on it, you know, put the flags on the, on the windshield, I'm going into town. And so they go to get this cult, uh, uh, cult and uh, they say, hey, just go and get it, just like a king would. Jesus says, hey, go pick this up, and if the people ask, say, uh, say the king needs it, okay? So they do. Uh, they went and found a cult outside in the street, tied at a doorway. They untied it, and some people standing there asked them, what are you doing untying that cult? Hey, that's not yours. They answered as Jesus told them to, right? They said, the Lord needs it, and he promises to bring it back. The king needs it. Um, when they brought the colt to Jesus, and they threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. So now Jesus is on the colt. He's getting ready. It says, many people, uh, and this is on the road to Jerusalem, spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread the branches that they had cut in the fields. And now it says, there's some who go ahead and some who follow. So there's a group that goes ahead of Jesus, and a group that goes behind him as they walk the road into the city. Jesus is riding on the colt. It's like one of the only times he rides on an animal in all the Gospels, unless if you count when Mary was pregnant, right? Um, So he rides the animal. There's people in front. There's people behind. It says that those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, right? Save. God save us. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. And, and what do you think that means? That means, hey, God's saving us, and David's kingdom is coming. Hosanna in the highest heaven. 
Uh, so Jesus comes into the parade, and, and they're waving the palm branches, and people are throwing their cloaks down on the ground, and his disciples are, are riling everybody up, right? They're like, Hosanna, the king is here. He's coming. They enter, and then Jesus, the first place he goes is the temple, and he takes a look around, and then he goes home and goes to bed, and that's the end of, end of Mark uh, 11, 1 through 11. He actually leaves town to go to bed. So there's a lot of stuff going on here. Um, what Jesus is doing uh, for us to understand today, for me, he's getting in that, the black car with the little flags on it, and he's driving, uh, you know, in, in the ancient world, he's driving right up to, to the White House and saying, my inauguration is beginning today. That's, that's what he's doing. Uh, except the problem is, of course, that there's already somebody who's calling himself king, right? So that's that's a problem. Uh, but people, people get really, really excited. They're shouting, Hosanna, save us. The disciples are encouraging it. And Jesus rides his donkey through, and everybody's looking at him, right? And it's just awesome. And, and how do you imagine, though, if you're one of, and, and like, let's, you know, be, you know, feel, feel for him a little bit. Imagine you're one of those Roman soldiers with a spear, you know, and, and there are a lot more of them than there are of you, and there's a crowd of people shouting out, God save us, and the king is here, and people are getting really excited. <laughs> uh, you're worried, right? Because something bad is about to happen. If you're one of those religious leaders, you're worried too, because usually when uh, Israel rises up against Rome, really bad things happen. And if you're a person who's been uh, taxed uh, your whole life and is miserable and in poverty, is really struggling, maybe you had a friend that was harmed by one of these Roman centurions or, or whatever, you are excited, right? It's the day. You're one of Jesus' disciples. Jesus is about to become king. And, and you, I just love this moment, right? It's beautiful. It's like, a, it's like a ticker tape parade. You know, God is going to save them through this new king. Here he comes on a donkey. The Messiah is here. Uh, and they're celebrating that they get to be on his side, on his team. Uh, and, and, it's, and it's that turning, you know, page turning in history. A new king, a new time, a new era. And, and hope that God would save them that they'd no longer be under the thumb and the boot of the Romans, but things would be brought back to the way it should be, back before the book of Lamentations, right? But of, but of course we know the story because we know next week is Easter and Jesus doesn't have, uh, isn't able to rise unless something really bad happens between now and then. Because we know that when the Bible predicts and when Jesus says he'll be lifted up in glory... He means it's going to be on a cross and not in the palace. Uh, we know that uh, at Jesus' right hand and left hand, when he's lifted up in glory, it won't be his closest disciples ruling and advising him, but will be a murderer and a uh, thief on crosses. Uh, we know that when Jesus gets his crown as the king in the line of David, it is not a crown of gold, but a crown of of thorns. And what else do we know? We know that uh, the disciples who walked in front of him shouting Hosanna and waving their branches in behind him who got that colt and donkey, uh, they're going to scatter and flee when he's captured. One of them will betray him. The rest, except for just a few women, will run and hide. We know that the people cheering on Jesus' arrival, crying out, save us, crying out, here comes the king, will be shouting, crucify him before the week 
is done. And they were right to be excited, right? They were right to have hope, but the hope, it didn't come in the way that they thought it was going to come. We know with hindsight that when they cried, save us, even though they changed their minds, and even in them changing their minds, uh, God was answering their prayer for help. They didn't see it at the time. He was answering the pleas of the crowds. He was answering the hopes of the disciples for salvation, for being saved. We know that when Jesus hung on the cross, despite how bad it looked, it was him being crowned king, not just of the Jews, but of the world. And we know that in that moment, not uh, marching into the city, but when he's raised up in that cross, that the biggest page in world history was turned. But it wasn't in a way that they were ready to imagine, and it was on a bigger scale than they could have possibly understood. Because Jesus didn't come to save them from Roman taxation, and he didn't come to save them from bad, uh, compromising religious leaders. He didn't come to save them from Roman swords. He came for something much bigger than that. Not their political rivals or enemies, not the people that they blamed for the world's problems, but something bigger. And oftentimes, I think, even as Christians, but, but all of us as human beings, you know, um, when we come to God and we pray, save, with the hope that he might solve our problems and our circumstances, we, we come to God hoping that he'll fix the problem that we can see the things outside of our control, the things that we think, if, if this thing was different, if I could make this thing disappear, if that person would behave better, then I would be okay. You know, those are the kind of prayers we bring to God, and we think that if God would just step in and fix that person, if he would fix that system, if he would change them or get rid of them or whatever, then finally things would be okay. And that's what the crowds thought, right? As they're rolling in uh, to, to the city, they thought he's going to change our circumstances. But Jesus knows that it's not the Romans that are the problem, just like he knows that it's not whoever it is that I think is the problem is the problem. Jesus knows that if, um, if God saved them from that, it wouldn't mean that we would get better or love more or help others or be kinder and get along and follow his call. Jesus knows that it's not them that's the problem, just like it's not the people that I want to blame. The problem is, uh, is us. <laughs> you see, uh, the thing that Jesus wants to save them from and that he wants to save us from isn't uh, them, it's, it's our own hearts. Not the evil of our enemies and their swords, whatever that looks like for us today, um, but from the sin in us, and not just from, uh, from the things we're afraid of, uh, but from death itself. And it's not just for them, it's not just for the Jews in the streets, and it's not just for us, but it's for any who might accept that salvation, Romans 2. And, and that's what Jesus wants for us. He doesn't want to save us from bad people, bad circumstances, or the vast array of problems that we hold up or that fill up our news feeds. He wants to save us for something bigger because God cares about our circumstances. 
He cares when our hearts are breaking. He cares when things are hard. Uh, but Jesus came to save us from ourselves. <laughs> Something far bigger than our circumstances. To save us from slavery to sin, the evil we do to God and others and ourselves. And to save us from our slavery to death. And the way that the fear of death in one form or another prevents us from being who God has made us to be. Uh, you know, as when we talk about this, when we talk about being set free from sin and death, oftentimes, uh, sometimes people that have been in the church a long time will say, well, I, I know that, Pastor. I accepted Jesus. I have, you know, whatever. And so if you've done that, um, uh, this is what I want you to hear. Uh, this part, if, if you're not sure about who God is, if you're not sure about who Jesus is, if you've never done that, this isn't, this isn't for you. Uh, but first of all, for those of you that are convinced that you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, um, maybe, um, like me, you need to be reminded that you have been saved already. That uh, you are not a captive to your sin any longer. You're not defined by it. You're not forced to repeat those patterns again and again and again. You are not bound by sin. You don't have to let your pride make your decisions for you. You don't have to chase what feels good at every moment. You don't have to put yourself in front of others. You don't have to hate people who are different than you. I don't have to, uh, we don't have to look down on other people uh, because God, through his Holy Spirit, is making us new. If you believe in Jesus, if you've accepted Jesus, it means that Christ, by his Holy, God's Holy Spirit, is at work in you, transforming you so that you can be more like Christ. So, so you're no longer bound by sin, and we sin, and we make mistakes, and we mess up, and we're jerks sometimes, and, and we get that pointed out to us, hopefully, and, and maybe, maybe we're a little bit better by the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, but, but we are set free from that, and we're also set free from death. You are not bound by it. We can afford personal risk. We can afford personal discomfort. We can afford uh, uh, restrictions if it helps someone else, and we can afford to lose if it means somebody else is going to gain. We are set free from death because we have been saved. God heard your cry, and he did it. And if you've never been there before, maybe if you aren't, aren't sure if you've been there before, I want you to know that Jesus died on the cross and he rose again to deal with the sin that defines us. The sin that we can't get out of no matter how hard we try and to deal with the problem of death that defines every choice that we make, every purchase, every interaction we have with someone else as we try and protect ourselves and raise ourselves up at the cost of other people. We're invited, if you've never accepted Jesus before, to admit your sin before God. And, and that sounds like a churchy thing, but it just means the fact that no matter how hard you try, you just can't seem to be the person that you know you're supposed to be. We admit our sin before God. We stop trying uh, to save ourselves, and we put our faith in Jesus and accept what he's done for us. And finally, we're invited to be made new by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so this, this week, um, as we get close to... Uh, as we get close to the empty tomb, as we read the story of the resurrection, or of, the, of Jesus' crucifixion together, as we see uh, the palm branches, uh, you know, dry up in the streets, 
and the people hang uh, Christ on the cross as we get ready for Easter and we look at these last days. May we take our eyes off of our problems and issues and other people, the ones that we think we need saving from so that our lives will be okay, and instead ask God to save us from sin and from death in ourselves. And if you do, you might find uh, a Christian or, or if you accept that gospel, you'll find, and if you believe it for yourself, you might find that the same God that beats sin and death and evil can save you from the sin and death and evil in your own heart, in your own family, in your own relationships. And when he does, the problems of our circumstances, the problems out there, aren't, aren't going to look the same. So we pray, Lord, save us. We pray, Hosanna. Pray with me. Lord God, we know that on our own, we don't have the power to be who we know we ought to be. Before you, Lord, we are trapped in sin. We remember that. And we ask, Lord, if we, if we never have, Lord, we say we believe in you, that you sent your own son to live and die and rise again on our behalf. We put our hope and our faith in that empty tomb, in the person of Jesus Christ. We believe, Lord, and we ask that by your Holy Spirit you would make us new. And Lord, for those of us that have um, thought about this already, that have prayed that prayer already, Lord, we ask that you remind us that sin nor death have any hold on us. That the ways that we let sin and death prevent us from loving you and loving others and being made new by your spirit, uh, we're not trapped by that anymore. So we pray, Lord, that you would remind us that in you we are set free. In your name, amen. Amen. I'd like to invite the worship team to come forward. Let's conclude our service in praise. Thanks for joining us. You can find out more about our church, our live stream, and our in-person services at BethelCove.org. Thanks and have a great week.